Good afternoon, good evening. I'm Dove Tuzman and you're back on Equal Footing. We're talking about treason tonight, betrayal, overthrowing governments, betraying relationships, betraying friendships. Contemporary topic for sure in the news right now, always present in one way or another in our lives, whether it's betraying or being betrayed. It's a reality of life. Lots of injunctions in many faiths about how to avoid betraying others, how to react when betrayed. As always, we're going to try to get to the next level on this topic. It's metaphysical. It's not just about what we see and do on the surface. What's going on underneath? What are the lessons in our faith? And I say our faith because we're on a Jewish network. I'm a Jewish person. Our guests are wonderful, esteemed guests tonight, are Jewish people. But we hope that the lessons that you can extract from a discussion like tonight's apply regardless of your faith and regardless of the level of observance in your faith. We all have ideas to offer and to learn from each other on. Two brave guests tonight on the program to dive into the metaphysics of treason and Betrayal, and in a moment we'll get into why that's the topic for tonight. Let me introduce our guests first. I'm really pleased to have Rabbi Mendel Kaplan on the show for the first time. Rabbi Kaplan, many of you probably know, he has a wonderful YouTube and Facebook channel. You can find it at Rabbi Kaplan, K-A-P-L-A-N, RabbiKaplan.tv. Teaches each week on interpretations of the parashot, of the sections of the Torah that as Jews we study each week and of the lunar calendar. He's the spiritual leader and executive director of Chabad Lubavitch Flamingo in Thornhill, Ontario, Toronto area. I used to live there many years ago. He serves one of Canada's most dynamic Jewish communities. Rabbi Mendel Kaplan also serves as chaplain of the, of the York Regional Police Service. He's an active member of Toronto's Vad Harabinim Council of Orthodox Rabbis. He's a voting member of the Kor Kashrut Council of Canada's Executive Rabbinical Board. Rabbi Mendel Kaplan is featured regularly on many television and radio shows. He's quite a sought-after speaker and scholar and has hundreds of lectures on the website Chabad.org. That's C-H-A-B-A-D.org. And Rabbi Kaplan and his wife, Fagi, are blessed with eight children. I learned right before the show that Rabbi Kaplan's also artistically endowed. He enjoys drawing, sketching, and creating charcoal portraits. I love that. I love that, how we can hold space for the scholarly life and the creative life. Rabbi Kaplan, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for being on. Thank you. It's an honor and a privilege. Thank you for ducking out of Mincha for it. I hope some blessing comes from it, somebody leading the the congregation tonight. Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf. Rabbi Korf, you're a veteran. You've been on equal footing a number of times in the past. I always love having you on because you've got that always willingness to 
frontally uh, address any question as, as uncomfortable as may be. And, and also I love your, your lightness of being as well, your firmness of faith and your lightness of being. I really enjoy having you on, Rabbi Korf. Rabbi Korf, as some of you know, is a graduate of the Rabbinical College of Greater Miami, and he's the shliach, the congregation leader and emissary in Hollywood, Florida, for Chabad Lubavitch. He's a member of the Florida Friends of Lubavitch for over 25 years, uh, and He's a father and a grandfather, and, and that's the thing. He always makes sure that we say in the program that he's most proud of and also all the area in which he's always striving to get better. Rabbi Korf, one of the things I also love about it, about it is that your bio is the shortest. You insist always on it being like a two- or three-sentence bio. Welcome back to Equal Footing, Rabbi Korf. Thank you, and I want to say I just learned something about Rabbi Kaplan. I didn't know that he is also an artist. That's unbelievable. I know a lot of good stuff about him. And that he was an artist, that's something no, I didn't know. Okay. Good. I love the, the equal footing mishpacha and re- learning about each other each, each week. Let's dive into this topic. You know, some people call, there's a figure in, in Humash, in the Torah, in our Bible, that, uh, so the, the kind of casual reader of the Bible may not remember most folks who went to to uh to Hebrew school or even Sunday school in, in the Christian faith will will remember this 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 figure's mysterious figure and is often referred to as the faithful betrayer which is a really interesting way to think about this conundrum in fact in our social media blast we talked about tonight's show is the Korach conundrum let's talk about Korach Last week's, partial last week's section of the Humash, we covered this figure named Korach, who comes from uh, one of the most uh, uh, elite or important uh, families uh, in the in the age of Moshe Rabbeinu, in the age of, of Moses, and he rebels. He tries to overthrow the government, as it were, to uh, question uh, Moses' authority in a frontal way, and in fact gathers uh, a group around him of 250 uh, important members of the community that back his effort. Rabbi Kaplan, maybe give us in a nutshell, beyond what I've just said, who is Korach and what is going on and why is it important? Well, Korach is uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses' first cousin. And soon after the episode of the spies, Korach leads a mutiny against Moses, uh, a rebellion, as it were, against the idea that Moshe Rabbeinu is the Rebbe, the Torah leader, the de facto monarch of the Jewish people, and Aaron HaKohen, the elder brother of Moses, has been selected to lead the Jewish people in Kahuna. He's the high priest. And the Parsha details this rebellion and God's reaction to it. It's not pretty. (laughs) God is not happy. Korach and his cohorts suffer a terrible consequence. And in the end, the priesthood, the kahuna, is significantly strengthened rather than weakened by this rebellion. So Korach rises up and he challenges Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, frontally uh, in, in, in several ways. It seems mocking, in fact, certain uh, uh, mitzvot, certain commandments, uh, and, and righteous acts, including questioning, uh, when we should put the mezuzah on the, on the door, um, and, uh, and, and issues of kashrut, of, 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 uh, dietary laws. 
and and ultimately Moses kind of in a way takes up the challenge, right? What 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 happens here, Rabbi Korf? How does how does Moses react to Korach's mutiny? I believe we can uh, you can explain this in one way, and I think Hasidus explains this also in some uh, in some ways in this manner, in that the difference between Korach and Moshe was that Moshe did exactly what God told him to do. And that's his whole point, no matter what you think. And it starts always, you know, when somebody comes to try to start a fight, you don't start with the biggest complaint. You, you go slowly. You start off, like it says, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, doesn't tell you to go worship idolatry. Because it knows, it knows the Jew won't worship idolatry right away. So first it tells you to do this thing, then tells you this thing. Finally, in the end, it then gets you into its net and, and, and lures you into idolatry itself. Korach sort of used the same mechanism. He didn't start with Moshe right away against his leadership. He knew he wouldn't stand a chance. Mm. So what he did was he started first with why Moshe appointed his other first cousin from the youngest brother of the uncles uh, by the name of Elitzafan ben Uziel as the leader of that family when he should have appointed Korach, who was the son, the eldest son of the eldest. But, but Rabbi Korf, once the, once the challenge is made, practically speaking, for those who don't know the story, uh, Moses basically calls Korach to a, to a meeting, correct? Uh, tell us about what, 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 what happens there, because Moses kind of gives it up to God as opposed to argues Korach at his own level of kind of the so practical. This is, what I'm sort of, this is what I'm sort of driving at. Korach uses all mechanisms and means of uh, fly light of hand of, uh, you know, his brain, because it, it tells us, the Talmud tells us that Torah was a very brilliant man. He was also a very wealthy man. He had everything going for him. And that's what enabled him to collect a lot of people behind him. Mm. But he used, he was also very, um, he was a very, uh, a prof- he was a professional in sarcasm. And he would <laughs> use this mechanism of sarcasm to try to bring the Jewish people into sort of laughter and levity and showing how absurd Moses is. But for example, one of the uh, one of the mechanisms he used was that he that he uh, asked Moses, "What if you have a house filled with sifrei Torah, with Torahs in there? Does it still need a mezuzah? If a small scroll like a mezuzah guards a home, how much more so if you have so many Torah scrolls which has the words of the mezuzah in it?" then does it need a mezuzah? Moshe says, of course it needs still a mezuzah. And Korach showed him the absurdity of this logically, that it would make no sense. If the mezuzah itself protects the home, how much more so the Torah scrolls protect the home? And this caused great laughter, it caused, great, it caused a lot of partying, and sort of it brought about a lack of respect and a lack of seriousness mm-hmm. as to what uh, Moshe stood for. Right, and so you have this sar- you have this sarcastic, uh, uh, wealthy, influential guy. He gathers a yeah. lot of folks around him to kind of to, in a certain sense, overthrow the government, overthrow the authority of of, of Moshe. Rabbi Kaplan, what I'm trying to get it for those who who may not know the story is there's what what actually happens. What is Mo- Moshe says to the people of Israel? If I'm wrong, you know, if I'm not supposed to be leader. Then what? And what's that awful consequence that that you uh, that you alluded to before we go to our first break? 
Um, you know, I think that the question we have to ask ourselves is, is what, what do all these details mean? Any, anybody can read the Bible. Anybody can uh, go, Google this, go online, and read the technical details. What many people can't do is see past the surface. There's a, a silly story, but I think it makes a point. A little boy comes home from nursery school, and his mother says to him, what did you learn about today? And he says, we learned about apples. And she says, Really? What did you learn about apples? He said, well, the teacher put two apples together and then another two apples together and demonstrated that two apples and two apples is four apples. And the next day, the little boy's reportage is that they learned about oranges. And the mother gently tries to explain to the child that you're not learning about apples or oranges. You're learning about mathematics. We're not learning about uh, the, the, the fact that somebody could be sarcastic or could use various mechanisms to achieve his or her goal. We don't have to learn about that in the Bible. We do that each and every single day of our lives, oftentimes for the wrong reasons. The technicalities of the Torah oftentimes belie the deeper messages. This is a, a sacred document. This is God speaking not only to the Jewish people, but ultimately to humanity. And if we are to absorb that message, we cannot simply look at this as a historic event or something that once happened or a fellow who once lived. We have to see this in, in a dynamic fashion, you know, to augment what Rabbi Korf was saying earlier about uh, wrapping himself in a talit. One of the ways to understand the deeper idea that Korach wished to advance is that you wrap yourself in a talit, whereas the tzitzit are just like a small fringe or a string that comes down. And in a very nuanced and well-built rumination, which I, I can't share the details of in, in just two minutes, but... The, the, the point that the Rebbe makes is that the talus, the wrapping yourself in a talus, represents inspiration. And it represents being in kind of a, an uplifted state of mind, attaining a higher consciousness. And Korach's question to Moshe Rabbeinu was, if we can be uplifted, if we can be elevated, Tchelet represents a, a sense of mindfulness and God consciousness, do we still need the technicalities of mitzvah performance? And Moshe Rabbeinu said, absolutely. And Korach said, that's absurd. All of the mitzvah we go through, all of the, the ritual we engage in, is simply to elevate our consciousness. If I'm in an elevated state of consciousness, why bother going through those mechanisms? Korach said, if a person is in a room that's filled with Torah scrolls or mezuzahs, in other words, he's surrounded with knowledge, does that knowledge really have to be affixed to the doorpost, if you will, the exit or egress of when a person comes in or out? Or if you have that knowledge, that's good enough. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, knowledge is wonderful. But knowledge has to be translated into practical deeds right. that are made meaningful by per, virtue of the Torah. Pardon the interruption. So practically speaking, we have to take our first break. But just to, to bring people up to speed, we're talking about treason and betrayal. And this is woven throughout uh, our tradition, the Judeo-Christian tradition. Here we're talking about Humash, the the uh, the Bible. And there are lots of instances of it. Here we're talking about the rebellion that Korach mounts against Moshe Rabbeinu, against Moses. And in the end, Moses says, God, you, you give the signal, basically. If everyone's sw swallowed up by the earth, effectively, and it wasn't my doing, it's God's doing, then I am the actual leader. And that's, in, in fact, what happens. The earth opens up, and Korach and his followers are swallowed up. That's the awful consequence after the break we'll come back though does it end there no it doesn't the story doesn't end there and there are 
as both Rabbi Kaplan and Rabbi Korf have alluded to. There are these deeper layers of meaning. We'll get into that after the break. This Equal Footing show on the Korach Conundrum. We'll be right back. He said, I'm going to buy this place and watch it fall. Stand here beside me, baby, in the crumbling walls. Oh, I'm going to buy this place and start a fire. Stand here until I feel all your heart's desire. Equal footing is brought to you in part by Coldplay. In part by DocuVax. I love Coldplay. DocuVax is a very cool, very easy, very low cost way for you to keep and maintain control over your medical records. Your vaccine records, your blood test results, your x-rays, your MRIs, none of that belongs to the government. It doesn't even belong to your doctor or your insurance company, although you share it with them sometimes for use. You should have control of your medical records. You should have them all in one place, easily cataloged, verified, and interpreted. DocuVax, that's D-O-C-U-V-A-X. You can go to DocuVax.com or you can d- download the DocuVax app on your smartphone, your iPhone, or your Android device. Allows you to both put all your records in there and then get access 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to doctors and nurses, medical professionals who can interpret your medical records and even give you what you need to save money and get a reference to a specialist without having to go through that annoying 10-minute protocolary meeting with your general practitioner. Take control of your basic medical information, your vaccine results, your lab results, test results, x-rays, MRIs, allergy information, etc. Go to DocuVax.com, or as I said, download the DocuVax app, D-O-C-U-V-A-X, or if you want to sign up your small business, for example, and give a benefit to your employees as you would a gym membership, you can call and get a group discount on DocuVax subscriptions by calling 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. And I want to be clear, DocuVax medical data is never accessible to anybody except you, and you can share it privately using their proprietary QR code-based system. It keeps your data secure at all times. It's HIPAA compliant. Take control of your medical file. Never miss again a vaccine date, a blood test date, or preventative screening like a colorectal exam or breast cancer screening. Sign up, DocuVax.com or the DocuVax app, D-O-C-U. VAX. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on track. All right, you're back on equal footing. We're here with Rabbi Korf and Rabbi Kaplan, and we're talking about treason and betrayal in the Torah, in the Bible. And rabbis, I'm going to ask you to kind of dumb this down for people like me, because we're getting pretty, pretty high, high, you know, highfalutin and erudite here, which I, I know you guys are, but for people like me, I can get a little bit lost. Here's what's confusing about Korach, this guy, powerful guy who, who re- rises up against our, our patri- one of our patriarchs, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, and tries to overthrow, uh, the government, so to speak, or over, overthrow, um, authority. We, he has a section of uh, the Bible, Parsha named uh, Korach. Uh, he, his lineage is 
uh, important. I mean, the prophet Samuel, for example, comes from the lineage of, of, of Korah. Uh, he was a, a, a brilliant man. He was well respected, uh, in the, in his, uh, community. And he's sometimes called the faithful betrayer. So in a certain sense, it feels like there's a purpose to this betrayal. It feels like there's a deep lesson for us to learn that isn't all negative. Rabbi Kaplan, what was it? Can we see a positive in Korach? Was there anything about Korach that we should emulate or honor? Anything about what ultimately was treason? Other than that last step, um, that, that we're, that we're meant to honor here, is that the mystical meaning? Oh, you know, for, the first thing I want to say is, I don't see betrayal here, and I don't see treason here. The act of betraying someone is a violation of a person's trust. I don't know that Moshe Rabbeinu placed any trust in Korach, and I, I don't know that Korach was looking or trying to create a treasonous situation. There wasn't, it's not as if Moshe Rabbeinu uh, placed some kind of uh, special knowledge in Korach's hands and said, look, I'm trusting you, I'm, I'm, I'm making myself vulnerable, and then Korach turned around and backstabbed him or was disloyal, double-crossed him, and displayed a lack of, of faithfulness. I, I really don't see it that way. I don't think the story is about treason or betrayal at all, if you're asking. But but you're asking another question. Say so. So what could no? I think that's I think that's fascinating because I mean it, there there are many commentaries refer to Korach as the as the faithful betrayer as if there's you know there's good things there too. Again, in his, I, his I, belief. I, you're saying commentaries. I, I don't I don't recall seeing that terminology in in a, in, a, in a real Torah book. I I, I don't know what that means. No, I like but, I like to be corrected. Okay, I, I I don't I've never seen betrayal here. It's not it's, it's not I don't read the Torah. At, at, in, in its messages as faith, faith, so, uh, so let me ask the question this way, Rabbi Kaplan, for, for those of us that, that don't have that deep understanding. The, the basic meaning of treason is to attempt to overthrow government or, or authority, uh, or the state. And so in that, in that sense, clearly Moses has both the religious authority and in a sense the sovereign authority over the people of Israel and, and his brother Aaron. Also has a, a key role in that as a, as a um, as kind of the next in in, in line. Is is Korach not explicitly trying to overthrow that authority and replace that authority with himself and his cohort? Am I, well, Korach am I right? is trying. Korach is trying to create a democracy. He doesn't like the idea that there's a a theocracy in place. He doesn't like the idea that Moses is uh, ruling by force of his spiritual charisma and prophecy. And he thinks that the people should be the ones deciding their fate, not God. If, if you want to call that treason, I, I suppose you could. He's not trying to overthrow a man-made government, which was usually what treason is. He's, he, he actually believes that people can challenge God and change God's mind. You know, nice. when somebody's sick, if you pray, you might be answered. This is a Torah truism. We, we are capable of making demands and God acquiescing. The story of the Pesach Sheni is, is exactly that story. And Korah believed that if he would be motivated enough and he could motivate the people, that God would acquiesce. If that sounds like treason or can fit into a modern-day political scenario, okay. But I, I, I don't see it that way. Now, as to your question, what can we learn from Korah? That's a very good question. It's a very, it's a very powerful question because the name of the Parsha, isn't Vayikach. Vayikach means he took, but there's a name of a parsha called Vayeshev, and he settled. There's a name of a parsha called Vayishlach, and he sent. So why don't we call the parsha Parsha Vayikach? <laughs> Nobody's ever opened the parsha with, and he took. Right. But that's not the name of the parsha. The name of this Torah portion, 
as it has been immortalized for eternity, is Korach. And Korach's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. So why would we call a parsha the name of somebody who's a bad guy? By the way, this is documented going back almost a thousand years ago in the writings of Reb Sajigon, uh, uh, more, more recent, only uh, 900 years ago, the Rambam's writings, they refer to the parsha as Korach. So the question is why? And it's clearly something which is ubiquitous amongst all Jewish communities around the world. After all, Korach is a wicked person. And we have a verse in Proverbs. It's in the 10th chapter of Proverbs. It says, Shem Rishayim Yirkav. The name of the wicked should rot. And the Gemara in Masechet Yoma on page 38 says, We don't mention the name of a wicked person. So if we're not supposed to mention the name of a wicked person, then why in heaven did we call the whole week last week the week of Parshat Korach, and Shabbat was called Shabbat. You have me on the edge of my seat. What's the reason? Korach a horrible guy. So there, there are a number of different explanations to this. The most compelling answer that I ever found to this question comes from the teachings of our Rebbe. And the Rebbe himself said that if you look a little bit later on in the Parsha, a little later on in the Torah portion, when Moshe Rabbeinu says to Korach, I understand you. I actually can appreciate where you're coming from. And, and that happens... Yeah, in, 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 in Moses says, like, I, 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 too want, the, <laughs> I too want this power, right? But, but in his case, he was, power. He was, a, he was no. a The role, no, he's assigned the role Moses by God. Moses had the power. What, why would Moses want something he had already? Moses didn't employ hyperbole. He says, you want to bring incense. You want to experience higher consciousness. You want to experience communion and oneness with God. Guess what? I want to do that, too. But it's not the opportunity God has given me. Korach wanted to experience the highest level of closeness to God. This is not a story of betrayal. It's not a story of treason. It's a story of a person who has extraordinary spiritual aspiration. Right. It's a story so of a honor, person. We honor his aspiration, if not the actual act of wanting to overthrow. So authority. we don't call the parsha Vayikach because that's yeah. bad. What Korach did could be perhaps framed as betrayal or treason. Rabbi Korf, be, sorry to cut you off, Rabbi Kelvin. Rabbi Korf, we're going to have to take another break in a few minutes. I want to bring this down also to the level of our of our daily lives. And on that note, participate in this discussion on treason, on betrayal, through the prism of Jewish theology. We're talking about betrayal. We're about to get into a bunch of other examples. A lot of betrayal going on, or at least for a layman like me, when I look at, at Torah, looks like there's a lot of betrayal going on, but is there higher purpose are we all, even in, in moments of betrayal, are we, are we an instrument in a certain sense of a divine plan? Call and participate, 718-303-9090 to comment or question on treason and betrayal through the prism of Torah and Jewish ethics. 718-303-9090. Heck, you can give us a perspective from a different faith if you'd like. You can also text in a comment or question to 917 917- Four two eight four zero six two. That's nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. You can SMS or WhatsApp a question or comment. We're going to go to the break, but let me just riff off some other examples in Humash, in Torah, in the Bible of what appear again to a layman like me, like betrayal. It's all over the place. Obviously, the people were talking about Korach rebelling against Moshe's authority, but there's the golden calf of the people, a portion at least, to the people of Israel betraying uh, Moses and God in that regard through idolatry. There's Rivka potentially betraying Yaakov, or at least lying to Yaakov when she got her son to pretend to be his brother in order to obtain blessings. You have the story of Shimon and Levi, but you know, 
betraying Shechem in a certain sense, or certain sense revenge. We can get into that. There's Joseph, Yosef being betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery. And then Joseph's brothers, which represent the tribes of Israel, lying to their father, Jacob, Yaakov, by telling him that Joseph had actually died. You have Samson and Delilah. You have this, you have lots of stories. In fact, one, it's, it's an interesting one that I want to, because it's so, for me, so difficult to understand the mystical meaning, although I think there is one there, is this, the story of Gomer, the wife of Hosea, the, the, uh, a prophet who is a, a licentious woman, probably a prostitute in the, in the, in the uh, commentary. And Hashem mandates that Hosea marry this woman. In fact, marry, it mandates him to marry an adulterous woman who continues to be adulterous during the relationship. Complex layers of betrayal weigh in in the conversation. What is this mystical, perhaps, role of betrayal in our tradition, in our spiritual path? We'll be right back. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Back on Equal Footing, I'm Dove Tuzman, and I'm with my esteemed guests, Rabbi Mendel Kaplan, calling in from Toronto, Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf, calling in from Florida. We're talking about treason and betrayal in Chumash. Don't mean to get too technical on the etym- on the etymology or the meanings of these words. We all know what betrayal means at a at a gut level. I rattled off a number of examples of what look like betrayal um, in 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 Bible prior to the last break. We started the first half of the show talking about the rebellion of Korach against against Moshe Rabbeinu. I want to ask uh, you, Rabbi Korf, here about what looks to me as a layman. Like some betrayal that we assert in a certain sense condone. Maybe there's an obvious higher purpose. So let's give one example of this. The one could argue that that Dovid Amelech, King David, in wresting the kingdom from Saul, there's an element of uh, certainly of of in allying with Saul's son Jonathan, kind of an overthrowing of of uh, the kingdom. For a layman, that looks like a, a form of betrayal. Obviously. There's a higher purpose going on. That's just one example of many. I just, right before the break, we talked about Hosea uh, being mandated by God to marry an adulterous woman. What role, what positive role, in a certain sense, does can betrayal serve? It, does motive matter? In a, it's a weird question, but is, is there some sort of positive reading of the role of betrayal 
in in our faith and in 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 our spiritual path? Um, so be, uh, I I believe there is a an overarching answer that I can give you. Before, let me just mention. I think you slightly make a mistake when you say that King David tried to wrest the kingdom from Saul. He actually did not try to wrest the kingdom from Saul, even though he could have, because he was already anointed by Samuel in during Saul's life. He never did. He remained hidden and did not try to wrest it away. It was Saul who was always jealous of him and had the feeling that maybe David was going to lead some kind of uh, rebellion, and thus he always had to, was trying to kill him, and David was always on the run. But it was only after Saul's death that David started to act as a king, first in the city of Hebron, and then later on as the king of all the Jewish people. But that's just uh, one correction, slight correction I wanted to make. Perhaps I'm only, mis- I'm only add- surprised I made a slight mistake. I usually step in it completely, so thank you for <laughs> the me, correction. Uh, let me add perhaps one uh, very... Okay, we seem to have had a technical difficulty. I hope Rabbi Korf will dial back in. Rabbi Kaplan, I hope you can be a pinch hitter, pinch hitter here. Just try to hit this on the head. Is there, in a certain sense, a mystical or positive role uh, of betrayal in our tradition or in our personal spiritual growth? You know, one of the, the methods in which one can use the word betrayal is uh, you can betray a friend. You can be, you can betray you can be uh, have a betrayal of trust. It's not about betraying somebody. It's betraying trust that was placed in you. And a person can also betray their principles. So what if somebody's principles were were sinful? What if somebody's principles were selfish? What if somebody's principles were unholy? And they were a Yetzahara person. They always listened to their evil inclination. And then they betrayed their Yetzahara, if you ah, want to use that. Right. Betraying the, I mean, I mean, the, the evil inclination. Question, I like that. That's the, the that'd be a positive not, betrayal for sure. Yeah. So the, the question really is doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, just about anything in the world could be right and wrong. Eating challah tomorrow night is a, is a great thing. It's a, it's the way we celebrate Shabbat. Eating that same challah on the night of Pesach, is a very, very grave sin. Intimacy under the blessing of the chuppah and marriage is the holiest mitzvah. And no mitzvah for which we recite more blessings. And at the same time, uh, that, uh, that same act of intimacy with somebody else's spouse, for example, is the greatest act of betrayal against God. Forget about against somebody else's trust. Even if there's an open marriage, so to speak, which is very popular these days, uh, it's a betrayal. It's a betrayal against the principles that mm-hmm. God gave us. So, so we we can see the same act, and we may not might not even know the difference on the surface. An act of consumption, an act of intimacy, and an act of of killing could be the greatest mitzvah. If they would have killed that monster who is killing children in in Texas before he killed them, that would have been. A great mitzvah, and the, and, the, and the police officer would have taken him out, would have not only been a hero, but in fact a holy man for doing that. It's all and, layered. I mean, it reminds me of the T.S. Eliot uh, quote that the greatest treason is to do the right deed for the wrong reason. <laughs> it's like these things have – well, I love the way you put that. And, and, and what I'm reminded of there, and we're going to go to a caller's question is waiting on the line patiently. But in, in doing the pregame research for this show, uh, I'm also reminded of um, – Talmudic sources, and I, I did this, I got to admit, rabbis, as a total layperson, please forgive me if I make a mistake, of Rambam, or the philosopher Maimonides, uh, kind of talking about the 
injunction that we have as 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 human beings in in separate from forgiveness, but when we are betrayed and it gives us an opportunity also to rise above, to, to not bear a grudge, to, um, be a master of our own spirit, to be responsible for our own spiritual health, different than, there's obviously an injunction for forgiveness, but an injunction also for the opportunity to be master of our own spirit in a difficult moment. So for me, and maybe I'm getting too new agey for you guys, but Rabbi Korf, I know you're back on the line. Uh, Rabbi Kaplan graciously pinched it for you in the last one. But the question would be, is is that okay for me as a Jew or me for, is, is learning from these ancient texts to see also betrayal on the other side as the one that's been betrayed as an opportunity um, for not only forgiveness, but an opportunity for me to grow spiritually? Or am I being, again, too new agey? No, I think you're being very appropriate, and that's correct. And anything that you can do to overcome even a, uh, an injury that you rightly you have the right to be upset about or to be angry or to even want to take revenge, and you overcome those uh, instincts shows character and is what raises you above your personal animalistic proclivities by doing so. I wanted to just go back for a second to what I wanted to mention for your original question, and I wanted to bring you a story, perhaps a short story, yeah, not keep, from the let's Bible. Let's keep it short so we can get to the caller before our next break. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. So I want to give you a short story, from the, not from the Bible, but from the Talmud, which I believe gives you an overarching view as to what it means when you talk about betrayal, and yet even at betrayal, at the level of betrayal, one can see as well the incredible lessons and the sometimes the beauty of that betrayer. The story is famously told in short about a woman by the name of Miriam Bas Bilga, Miriam the daughter of Bilga, who entered with her husband, who was a Greek soldier when they were destroying the temple in Jerusalem. And as she saw the suffering of the Jewish people, she goes over to the altar in the temple and takes her shoe off and smacks the temple and cries out, Wolf, wolf! You take all their money, you take all their sustenance, and yet when they need you, you're not here to answer their prayers. Uh, pretty regular criticism of religious institutions for thousands of years. And this was years. a Jewish woman. Yeah. This was a Jewish what woman. Happens? who be- she, she betrayed her faith. She was a member of a priestly family, mm-hmm. one of the highest priestly families. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't take the suffering, and she left her faith and went and married a, a, Greek, a Greek officer. But yet... The Lubavitcher Rebbe, when he talks about this story and he, when he talked about it, he sobbed so much at this Fabrengan that he couldn't even talk. When he brings this story, he gives a whole different, unique uh, view of this story and shows us that a woman who perhaps was not a righteous woman and was a betrayer, quote-unquote, and yet what does she think about when she comes into the temple? She thinks about her fellow Jews and their suffering and cries out to God, God, where are you? In other words, a betrayer at times can also teach us incredible things and can teach us as well how to relate to God and how to relate to each other. This is a beautiful story which can really be That is beautiful, and it it actually ties in. You did a neat transition without knowing it into into some listener commentary because we have have one one listener who's commented into commented that it's important in our tradition not to mix up betrayal and advocacy. You have Avram advocating to the Archangel Gabriel to not uh, kill more people than is needed. And you have advocacy as well on numerous occasions by Moshe Rabbeinu, by Moses, to Hashem, to God, 
on behalf of the people when 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 God is is angry at betrayal. So I, I think that's a good point that that advocacy, even if strident, even if standing up to authority, um, can in fact be righteous and and not be constituting betrayal. Let's take this caller on on line one before we go to our break. Um, do we have the caller on line one? Let's see if we can get him on the air. You're on the air. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. Is this Stan? I'm afraid so. Uh, Stan, I love it. Lay it on us. Tell us about your feeling about betrayal and treason. In Let's our give tradition. two examples that we can both understand in this world at this moment and this time. The man's name was President William Jefferson Clinton. He betrayed his wife while he was president. While he was going on, he was impeached for the betrayal, but his cohorts and friends, which were all, he had the majority, said, no, we're not going to throw him out for betraying his wife. He did not betray the country, and so he was not impeached. He was impeached, but he wasn't. He wasn't deposed. He was impeached, but they didn't throw him out. So in essence... It had no religious connotations at all. The solution was basically political. Okay. Who's the other character? We got you. We're with you. We're with you. Okay. Don't shy away from the other one. Oh, you want to talk about this one? I'll give you the other one quickly. The other one, as you know, is January 6th. To me, the greatest betrayal and treason. And it had nothing to do with religion. Strictly power. No religion whatsoever is involved in this, especially the person who came up with it and, and did it. God has nothing to do with this guy. He's not January, even... January 6th, for listeners that are living in a cave, you're talking about the riots <laughs> in the Capitol January 6th of uh, 2021. Right. The conspiracy. Uh, and, and, of... Right. That, that, and, you're, and, you're, and, and specifically, you're talking the treasonous act by, by, uh, by a particular individual. Well, so, well let's say sedition. It, sedition. Okay. Uh, which is also true. Donald Trump and his possibility of trying to overthrow the election based on not religious documents, not the Bible, so, not the Torah, so Stan, but on constitutional accept, bill of rights. Let's accept, for, uh, for the sake of discussion, we all have to be able to understand rhetorical devices. For, this, for the sake of discussion, let's accept that in both cases, William Jefferson Clinton, Donald J. Trump, you, uh, you, you, that there are acts of betrayal. What's, what's your point as a question or comment here to the guests? One, one is not, uh, it, it, yet the overall nation let the president go, which I agreed with. There was no, you know, they didn't think the portrayal... In the first case. The, yeah, absolutely. And, and, in, and the uh, second case? No, no, I'm and just in the second to case, question. we still don't know yet. That was more uh, against documents of our country, the Bill so, of Rights. And so that is, is more serious. Than, and that has nothing yeah, to do with the Bible obviously, in any way. By the way, Stan, I love when you when you call in. As you know, it's not a political show. It's a religious show. But is, I is know, the question, but your, your religious connotations uh, no, I have no effect in these areas. Well, no. I, I mean, one of the reasons we do the show, frankly, is to be able to ask these types of questions. So I love well, so that let the rabbis it. answer it. So what's the, right is the question is that is there any lesson within our Jewish tradition to look at these examples of betrayal? Is that the question? Do they agree that there was betrayal? They well, may, let's they not get into the political. Let let's say for the question. sake of discussion that in some degree there was betrayal. Because I, 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 so, we know so yeah, it doesn't become a political show. the president show. of the United States betrayed yeah. his wife. That's as far as it went. Okay. The other one is betrayal okay. of so, a nation. So Rab, Rabbi Korf and Rabbi Kaplan, let's, let's accept for the sake of discussion that – there's been betrayal by a, um, a, a whether it's minor or very major in public office. As as 
Jews or observant Jews looking at our tradition for reference, is there a lesson with respect to how we assess that or judge it or or act upon it, uh, Rabbi Kaplan? I told you uh, to begin with, I didn't think that this Torah portion is about betrayal. <laughs> I don't think it's about treason. I don't think it's about betrayal. I think that's a red herring. It, on, on a technical level, That that's perhaps what's happening here. And, and my name is not Rabbi Krauthammer, and I'm not uh, a political commentator, and I generally don't like to speak about things that I can't speak about intelligently. Okay, that's fair. I, I, would, I, I would say this. I would say this. I, I, think, I think the question with regard to President Clinton, if, if there's a, a Torah perspective, is if somebody is a dishonest person and he can't be trusted to, be, to tell the truth to his own wife, can he be trusted to tell the truth to a nation? Can a nation put their trust in a person like that? And the same question could be asked of somebody like Donald Trump. If a person could become so blinded by political ambition that a, a person is behaving in a way that seems, at least, to be entirely beyond the pale, can you trust a person like that with the welfare of hundreds of millions of people? Can you trust a person like that with uh, the power that can literally affect the entire globe? I don't think it's a question of trust. I don't think it's a question of betrayal. I think, if anything, those are questions of character. And the Torah makes it very clear to us that a person's character may have a lot to do with their ability to lead or not. Rabbi Korf, I'm going to get your opinion on this. In a moment, we have a number of uh, questions and comments here from listeners as well. We'll get back to after the break. We are talking about treason and betrayal. Stan, thank you for your comment. Love how you brought it to the current moment and follow up with that with uh, Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf right after the break. We are talking about the Korach conundrum. Originally, we started with the rebellion against Moses. There's a lot of stuff in Humash that for me, layperson, Rab, Rabbi Kaplan, uh, just, in, you know, in his view, it's not betrayal. From my layman's perspective, it looks like it, but there's certainly uh, issues here of breaches of trust and the desire to overthrow the government. We'll be right back. By fire who by water, who in the sunshine, who in the nighttime, who by high ordeal, who by common trial, who in your merry, merry month of May, who by very slow decay, and who... The great Leonard Cohen. Rest in peace. You know, one of the things we try to do about, uh, do, mush-mouthed tonight, one of the things we try to do here on Equal Footing is address issues that are sometimes difficult to talk about. You might be uncomfortable asking questions about, but there's no shame in asking. And the answer can sometimes help set us free. Well, one thing that's difficult to talk about is erectile dysfunction. Yep, you heard me right. Erectile dysfunction. Nothing to be ashamed about. It affects almost 70% of men in their lifetime. Manhattan Medical can help you do something about it. It's important for you, not only you, but your partner. Manhattan Medical utilizes a new effective therapy called Gains Wave. It does not involve expensive blue pills. It's a non-invasive, surgery-free, and painless approach to ED treatment. You don't have to be in New York, much less Manhattan, or even in the area, anywhere in the United States, you can get a teleconsult on Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy 
treatment for erectile dysfunction. Call 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy has been around for quite a while in Canada, in Europe, and has recently made its way to the United States. Most patients have wonderful results. It's cost-effective and enduring. Call for a free consultation. Don't continue to be kind of trapped by silence and shame. Erectile dysfunction is nothing to be ashamed about. There's nothing non-halachic about getting help in this area. Call 888-ED-CURE-9 or in numbers 888-332-8739. And if you mention that you heard about Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for erectile dysfunction on equal footing, you get a free consultation. That's right. That's a $250 value. So call 888-ED-CURE-9. That's 888-332-8739. We're back on Equal Footing, our last segment, talking about treason and betrayal through the prism of Jewish theology. This has been a tough topic, guys, because, uh, it, you know, as as Rabbi Kaplan said right before the break, you know, he said it also at the beginning of the program. He doesn't see, you know, the the Korach conundrum as we talked about uh, here in the program, the figure of Korach trying to overthrow uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses' authority, as an act of betrayal. Let's, Rabbi Korf, I promise after the break to go back to this issue of con- Dope, contempt. I got to tell you, Dope, I got to tell you, for some reason, uh, you keep on fading in and out. I don't know why. And I keep missing parts of what you're saying. I'm just letting you oh, know. Oh, no. I hope that's not happening for other listeners. I apologize, Rabbi Korf. I don't know. Okay. Well, hopefully you can hear me with this, this question. Stand before the break. Um, it talked about the kind of contemporary uh, reality. You mentioned the January 6th Capitol riots. And, you know, ultimately we may have a former president that is brought up on charges for sedition or treason. It's possible. It's possible for the first time in, in over 200 years. What is... Uh, assuming that there is a lesson about betrayal, that betrayal is actually a concept <laughs> that that our uh, that our patriarchs you know thought about, uh, they thought about pretty much everything that we confronted in in, in life. Um, is is there a way? Uh, I'm giving you a chance to answer the question, but briefly because I want to get to some of these listeners' comments and questions. Is there a way to apply the lessons we have in our tradition about betrayal to something like the January 6th Capitol riot uh, committee hearings? I, um, I again, I also, like Rabbi Kaplan, don't want to comment necessarily on the political uh, arena, um, and uh, I don't necessarily agree with your pre- previous caller in various for various reasons, but that's not the point. I do want to, however, say that sometimes, I, although I didn't hear everything you asked, but I will try to answer what I think you may have asked, I don't know, is that when it comes to treason or betrayal, sometimes there is a... There, you sometimes have to also see where it's coming from. And I don't know if you know, for example, one of the greatest betrayals or treason, treasonous acts was the one we read about in Parsha Shlach with the spies. Mm-hmm. And that tragedy became an enduring tragedy until this very day, for which we fast on the ninth day of Av. And little do you know, perhaps, that there are some commentaries that tell us a very interesting thing that the betrayal or the treasonous act of these ten spies uh, trying to convince the Jews not to go into the land of Egypt, you know what it was for, what they were, the reason was? Because they didn't want Moses to die. 
Right, that's like so, goes to motive. Like the you know when when Joseph's brothers lie to 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 Yaakov about uh, Joseph being sold into anything. slavery, they also don't want him to die of sadness. I mean, there's like a there goes Correct. to motive, right? But they but they were told already, and they knew that Moses was not going to be allowed to go into to Israel with them, and so they tried to hold that off by bringing this treasonous report, so as to force God, as it were, to force his hand to make them stay in the desert so that Moses could remain alive and they could continue right. studying Torah from him. And so Ra- Rabbi, Rabbi Kaplan, I like where, I really like where, where Rabbi Korf went with this. It, it, does motive matter uh, it does, it, in, in, assessing, in assessing betrayal, or is it just kind of on the surface of it, someone been lied to or betrayed? If you're betray- uh, first, I want to tell you that I've been having the same problem as Rabbi Korf. You've been coming in and out. I, I, I haven't heard everything. I think Rabbi Korf is uh, absolutely correct in saying that the if there is treason and betrayal in the Torah, it's not in Parshas Korach, it's in Parshas Shlach. And, and uh, you, the answer to your question is right in the Parsha. Did it matter that these people had lofty motives? Did it matter? Well, it, not really. In the bottom line, God punishes them very, very severely. And, and this is a, a, an extremely important lesson for us, namely that we have to do the right thing. And doing the wrong thing with the best of intentions is still the wrong thing. Right. This is a basic principle that Judaism operates within. Okay. And, and, Guys, and, and I think another detail that I'd like to highlight is, if, Korach, if this was simply a story of rebellion and sedition, why did Korach wake up all these months later? If it was just jealousy and he wanted to overthrow the government, so then the day Aaron was appointed as high priest of Rosh Chodesh Nisan, why didn't Korach immediately begin right. to sow the seeds of rebellion? The answer is because it's not about rebellion and yeah, because it's not about sedition. We're right often as it, as it happens, right as we get up on the hour, we get into the, the meat of it. We've got a caller on line three that I, th- I think is going to ask a question that represents a number of comments and questions that we've, that we've gotten in. Let's see if we've got... Uh, the caller on line three. And hello. Line. Yes. Hi. You're on the air. Oh, hello. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much for taking my call. Of course. Um, sure. Uh, I'm very interested in the topic of a discussion, but I guess we have to take this, the whole discussion, with the grain of salt or grain of irony. Irony, because my question still remains uh, the following: uh, the great David. Without David, there will be no Israel. There will be no continuation of Jewish people. Our great. Uh, King David. Yep, we know, uh, who, we know who he is. What's your question? Please, and uh, no doubt about it. But remember the story about him when he saw Beersheba, and he sent her husband and his friend to the front to be killed, so that he will be able to marry Beersheba. Uh, my uh, deduction from that is, we are at the same time gods and devils, and we have two beginnings in each of us. Of course, it is good if we follow God, but sometimes we can follow, de- we can follow de- devil as David did, but uh, God justifies this, this and rabbis justify that uh, by saying uh, that uh, if David will not do that, there will be no history of Jewish people. 
I cannot reconcile that. Love it, love it. I'm going to need need to cut you off, and I love you called in. Please call in again. Great question, and actually, let's end on that, because a number of listeners, about four other comments that have been made. Okay, quick primer. I'm sure I'm not going to get this exactly right, but Dovra Melech, King David, uh, sees... Uh, Bathsheba, this beautiful woman, uh, sunbathing, bathing, whatever it might be, and, uh, and, and is, and, and is enthralled by her, and so his top general, arguably, uh, dearest or dear friend, uh, Uriah, he sends the front knowing that he'll be killed, and then is able to be with Bathsheba. Certainly seems like an act, <laughs> doesn't seem wholesome, seems like an act of betrayal. We've done actually previous shows of Rabbi Simon Jacobson and so forth on the complexity of the, of, of the King David story, but, how does one reconcile? This is a good spiritual note to end on without criticizing. All these perspectives are valid. These questions are real. We have these questions. How can this be a patriarch? He did this horrible thing. We can even get into the potential rape of Bathsheba. It's a really troublesome area. That being said, how do we reconcile? And we'll end on this. This kind of idea that we're both. We are the betrayed. We're the betrayer. We are uh, good. We are evil. We are, we are constantly kind of in that in that flux, and what's the lesson to extract? Let's finish this off. Each, please, you know, no, please, no, Rabbi, 30 to 60 seconds, because we literally will be cut off. So I want, I want to correct your, your, your questioner. The rabbis don't say it was a fantastic thing. This is not, this is not a, something anybody is proud of. Uh, the question is, how significant of a, of a sin it was. And, and that would be an act of betrayal, no question. If you wanted to talk about betrayal... Yeah. Now you're on to something. I would, because we only have literally 30 to 60 seconds left for each of it, can you give us, kind of end us on a positive, what, is, what can we glean from this, this really dis- disturbing act of betrayal by King David Every that brings us forward spiritually? As an animal soul and a godly soul, not, we don't follow a devil, that's not a Jewish idea, but we have a godly soul or an animal soul, a uh, Yetzahara, and yes, even the greatest of people can have a terrible fall. And we have to work really hard to be on guard at all times to do the right thing. If you want a simple takeaway, that's it. I love it. Rabbi Kor, finish us off real quick. I'll, I'll, I'll slightly diverge from my uh, learned colleague by quoting a, ver- a statement made by our sages in the Talmud that says anybody who says King David sinned is merely mistaken. Um, as to why you can say such a thing like that, especially when King David himself says for the rest of his life that my sin stands always before me, it can all be answered, but it's not going to be answered in 30 seconds. But I'm sure both Rabbi Kaplan and I can delve into this matter much more deeply and explain it both halakhically and simply, as well as on a more deeper spiritual level as well. Well, we'd love to have you on again, talking about the complexity of, of King David. It's It's a topic that can that can take up a bunch of shows i'll end it by saying that as someone who sometimes brings up these difficult topics i've gotten all sorts of acrimony <laughs> sometimes i'll be a couple of weeks ago it was called a fake jew by the way my mother's jewish my grandparents blessed memory died in the holocaust i have a bris i have a, a bar mitzvah i'm not i don't think i'm a fake jew that'd be new information but it be even asking these questions can sometimes tweak people we can ask the questions ask the questions learn dive in Treason and betrayal, covered by equal footing. Thank you, Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf, Rabbi Menzel Kaplan. We'd love to have you on again. Have a great week. Thank you. Have a good evening. Thank you. As it was before, I will speak no more. I shall abide until I am spoken. If it be